You are listening to the Photobomb podcast with the world's greatest photographers, Boo Ray and Gary. Welcome to the Photobomb podcast. My name is Boo Ray Perry, and joining me as always is Gary Hughes. Christmas has arrived at my house. And it what, has. what does that entail? And with, you have these young children. It's very I, different for you than it is for us. Well, you know, uh, it is a magical thing that I hate, uh, Christmas, that okay. is. Uh, but my wife, who is, uh, I would say that she's probably like the, the Michael Jordan of Christmas. She really, like, it's, uh, let's say, no, she's the Brett Favre of Christmas, because everybody okay. likes Brett Favre. He's got no drama attached to him. Okay. But man, she just, she just, it's the Super Bowl for her. Christmas is it. So as soon as Thanksgiving's over, so the next day is Tree Day, which is a whole day, which because now my three-year-old was helping has now become three days of putting up the Christmas tree. Okay. And Christmas music and cookies baking and like, you know, hot cocoa and candy canes for three days. Wow. And, and I hate it. I had to go to the, I had to go to the, what should we do, the storage and I had to get out the stuff. And my wife was like, I think we may have to make two trips. And I was, I'm like, okay, listen, I'm going to have to, I'm putting my foot down. Christmas is one trip to storage, okay? Because if you, if you go, if you become a two trip to storage family, you're entering into a whole new realm of decorations. There, there's just something about having enough stuff to where you have to have a storage unit. Yeah, I mean, well, just- well, because, well, our house is so stuffed with other stuff. But I mean, like, we had like one, like two, Boxes. That was everything we needed for Christmas was in those two boxes, and they were in the attic. And the fact that I cannot load my car up with everything that we have now in this family, and you is have a ridiculous. big car, yes, you have a massive car. I have, I, have a, I have a Ford Expedition. So you, yeah. you, your Christmas decorations fill up your expedition. Yeah. Well, twice. The, okay. Well, to be fair, the tree takes up quite a bit of room. You know, the big fake tree. So that takes up maybe almost half of the of the truck. But still, How we're talking about tree? a good six to eight bins of stuff that have to come in. That's quite a lot of stuff. And we're not bringing in any any of the traditional Christmas decorations because we got a cat a couple of years ago. So my wife had to go out and buy all new Christmas decorations that the cat would not destroy, which my other daughter said to me the other day, I said, how did you think last year we went up to the mountains for Christmas? And, and wasn't that great? She said, well, it wasn't the same. We didn't have our Christmas tree. I said, we don't have our Christmas tree now. We have the cat-friendly Christmas tree that your mother built specifically for the cat a year how ago. How do you make a cat-friendly Christmas tree? It's got nothing but ceiling? soft, cushy stuff on it. It's just It's got like big, soft, cushy candy canes and stuff like that. It looks like something you'd see in a department store. It doesn't look like a real Christmas tree That's for a real family. That's what's going on with your life. You, yeah. you are altering everything else so that you can have a cat. Yes. Yes. We, and, and, and let me say, we have, we have a collection of ornaments spanning years with pictures of our family and dates and places we went and things that Not are special anymore, to us. You know. And they're in a box in the storage unit, Gary. Right. Because yes. the Christmas tree has to be cat-proof. Your cat hates Christmas, clearly. Yes. And so I, my recommendation is... To build a cat-sized trebuchet, tie the cat to it, and launch that cat into the sun, and get Christmas you back in your life, man. Right. You need Christmas. It's 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 a. And, but what's sad is that we that if we had wanted those to come home, there was no there was no car room in the car for them. That's how much <laughs> because despite the fact that we have annexed like three boxes of these special ornaments, still the truck is full. This well, is, this is Christmas in my house. Now, well, uh, luckily, uh, all of my Christmas stuff is in the storage shed in the backyard. So we have one of these ratty old tin storage sheds. Yes, I've seen I've seen that meth cooker of a shed that you have behind your yeah. house. <laughs> that is, how'd you know where I make meth? Is it that obvious? That's the place where the raid goes down with the right, SWAT yeah. team. So it's basically if you put anything out there, because if you don't know about Florida, Florida is especially Central Florida is basically paradise for rats. It's the perfect temperature, perfect like vegetation. So there's just no way to not have rats or on or around your property. The only thing you can do is exclude your house, which is to make sure that you seal up every tiny little hole and that you make that they don't come inside. But there will always be there. Now, am I going to pay Terminex to come out and rat exclude my meth shed? No, no I'm probably not going to no. do it. So no. anything in the shed has to be in like a hermetically sealed box or yes. rats will get to it. Yes, we have the same problem in the storage unit. Yeah, so I have to go out to the to the meth shed every uh, November tw- 28th or whatever, and I have to... Uh, Hopefully that the rats didn't get into the Christmas lights or into the tree. That's my biggest, the box, the sealed box that holds the fake tree parts. We're going to open it up, and uh, there's just going to be a rat's nest in it one of these years. And um, that's, I'm going out there and battling rats for Christmas, and I don't even like Christmas. Right. Bah, there we have it. 
So we got something uh, happening on the show today, which is very rare and wonderful. Uh, we don't often do this, but because he begged and he pleaded and he and he promised us all <laughs> kinds of things, we have brought the new director of the uh, print competition at WPPI, my friend and yours, Luke Edmondson, is here with us on the show. And, and all kidding aside, pretty excited to have you. You are awesome, and I'm glad you're with us. Well, thank you so much. It's great to be here. And speaking of uh, children, have you started doing the Chippy the Elf type thing yet? Oh, we did the elf. Oh, we did the, oh, like yes. the first year the elf came along. The elf was in my house, and and I made the mistake of taking very creative pictures of the elf, and then that it became was a, a great job. series. That yeah. was great. Every day I had to take. But my wife, to be fair, if you remember the pictures, my wife went above and beyond. I mean, you would not. By the way, if your children are listening to this podcast, now would be a good time to turn it off. My <laughs> wife went above and beyond on uh, the Elf on a Shelf. I mean, there was just I, I was imp- I was blown away by the stuff, the the scenarios that she would come up with. It wasn't just hide the hide, hide the Elf every day. So you were telling me that you didn't come up with the ideas; you just took the pictures. Right. She did That's all the creative bit. work. So we had a, a neighbor kid over the other night, and again, if your children are listening. Turn this off right now. I don't want to get a letter that we ruined something for your family because you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to ignore it. Actually, I'm going to send it to Luke. But So we had, a, we had a fa- another family from down the street was over at our house the other night, and then their little boy was about nine years old, and he looked around and he goes, Gary, where's your elf on the shelf? Do you guys not have an elf? And I was like... Uh, <laughs> you're gonna ruin Christmas for this child? And I went, oh, uh, you know, we missed the deadline. Uh, we didn't, get, we didn't, we missed the application deadline. There are only so many elves on shelves, and we didn't get our letter to Santa soon enough, so we don't have one. So we have to fill out all the elves' paperwork manually this year instead of having an elf to do it for us. It's a real bummer. It's a real bummer. And I thought, one thought, one good save. Two, I guess I need to go get an elf. Yeah. So that's yeah. that's that's Christmas now. Now I'm actively deceiving children. And, yes, you know. Well, that that is what Christmas is all about, isn't it? And you you got two kids, Luke. I got two kids: a little girl who's uh, about to turn five, and a uh, a son who's two. So my oh. big stress and panic is uh, making sure that if I don't move the elf in the in the night before, when they go to bed, uh, that I wake up early enough to move it before they walk into the room where it was last left, so that they know that somehow he went back and spoke to Santa last night. So anyway, what is the what is the cost benefit of of going through all that effort with the, with the elf? Like what what is it? What do you get out of it? Is it just a fun thing to put yourself through all that stress? Or yeah. is it? Uh, or is there a behavioral thing like it makes your kids be good or something? Uh, it does, there's no behavioral. Uh, although we do we do say that he's watching, but uh, ult- ultimately, <laughs> it's the creepiest thing. Yeah, it is. It is. It is. <laughs> but it's I mean, very very yeah. creepy. Yeah, yeah. this is your warden. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You better be good because the elf is watching. Uh, but uh, no, it's it's probably just the joy that comes out of their mouths each morning when they find the elf. They go investigating all around the house trying to find him. And we don't do the complicated scenarios. We just oh, move it. Oh, don't. You don't. You do not. Because you open up a Pandora's box. Now you've got to do it for, you know, every day for 30 days for five years. Yep. Yeah. Well, we uh, we do the uh, Jesus is watching. We do an advent calendar, and we sure. just let them know that if they're not good, they're going to hell. So it's that that's fun. Oh, like it's a much more bit effective. Easier. That's sure. Sure. Damnation is always a good motivator. Well, my wife got uh, my wife got wine advent calendars this year. Every day is a different glass of wine. Now I can get behind that. <laughs> yeah, a little something from mom. Yeah, that's that's just for so uh, Luke. There's a reason that you're here because as 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 those of you who pay attention to the show know. Uh, that WPPI is coming up. And you guys, uh, and Boo Ray and I talk extensively about image competition on this show. We're both sort of have this love-hate, mild, obsessive thing about it. Boo Ray's a little more one flew over the cuckoo's nest about it uh, than most. But... (laughs) And it's really, it's cool. We did a couple of years ago, we had Jerry and Melissa on the show who were in charge of the competition. You just took it over. And, uh, and I think that it was probably my first experience about it was talking to them. And it wasn't long after that, that I ended up judging there for the first time. And I was absolutely floored, never having seen it by, um, the quality of it and how much care goes into it. And so, um, we don't do a lot to talk. It's not where our experience is. Most of Bure's experience and mine are with the IPC through, through PPA's International Photographic Competition. So um, I guess it just evens the scales a little bit to bring you on and talk about what's, what it's going to be like this year with you running things, what's going to change, what isn't, and sort of what it is you want people to know about it. So first question, are you scared out of your mind to take this over? <laughs> 
Well, that's a great question. I would say I'm not scared. If you had asked me to do this uh, two years ago, I would say I wasn't uh, prepared to do it. How uh, could you be? Like, yeah. I can't imagine anyone who felt like they were prepared for it completely might be insane. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. And there's a bit of insanity that goes to the process. But, you know, just like y'all's podcast or the things that I know that y'all do behind the scenes for the community and stuff like that. The reason we do these things is because we have a love for the people that we're serving, the people in our photographic community and trying to push it forward and and help them them learn and grow. And competition is, is one of those ways that they can go about doing that. And of course, my own background with IPC is I've competed in it for many years and gone through that particular process and, and loved it. And uh, certainly I first found out about PPA uh, because of going to WPPI. So there's all these neat little They always have things. a booth in the trade show. PPA always has a booth at the WPPI trade show. They, they do have that. That's not how I, I found out about it, actually, though. It was PPA members that were there that were like, why are you here? And you're not like at home in Dallas, like, and part of your local community and that was convicting because first of all we didn't even know it existed and right. and we started going and uh and then we fell in love with it and ended up getting into all sorts of uh, entanglement with our local guild for many years <laughs> so you were you were competing at wppi before you knew even ppa existed yes Okay, so what I'm interested in really is anybody who listens to the show knows enough about competition to know that they've either turned this off and they're skipping to a different podcast by now, <laughs> or they're really tuned in, because we go deep in, is in competition. Here's something, here's something, wait a minute, you're, you're taking, so this year, the competition this year in uh, February, right, there was uh-huh. the convention, you're running that. That's correct. Okay, so this is how deep Luke Edmondson is, this is how deep he has his feet into both worlds. He is running the competition at WPPI. At the PPA convention, Luke is on the committee that decided who the speakers would be. That is how important Luke Edmondson is in the world of photography at this particular well, point in time. There's that. There's that uh, if, if you're involved in either group for any length of time, you can't get away from the fact that there's this historic sort of uh, rivalry that some people have, and I, it's I, I don't think there's that many people that have. Do you think a lot of people have it? Because I don't really pick it up I, on it that I, much. Well, I think that people sort of identify themselves either more WPPI person or more PPA person, and so I don't think you have to I do, do that. No, I don't either. Which is the point. I think that they're so like they're both. Awesome. I grew up in the association. My parents were PPA members and master photographers. I went to my first PPA affiliate convention probably when I was like 12 or 13 years old. Like I've been in this a long, long time and I grew up completely in the other camp and I went to WPPI knowing not what to expect at all. And I was just blown away by how similar it is in a lot of ways, like the aspect where you immediately, after going the, for the first time, the next time you go, you're going to feel like family. You're going to see so many people you know. You're going to have such a great time. And I'm struck more by the similarities in the competition specifically than I am in the differences, although there are some pretty key differences, I think. What, do you th- what, are the, what would you say the differences are mainly to you, Luke, having done both? Well, I think uh, you know the obvious difference that kind of starts off is, is the fact that with a print case for IPC, you've got four prints. And if you do the master artist as well, then you could submit eight. And with WPPI, there there are no limitations along those lines. So you could put in a hundred images if you wanted to. And there are there are certainly uh, people in studios that do push those boundaries. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> you know, trying to trying to get as much stuff as they can. And even in my own life, uh, you know, when I first started uh, competing, I would enter a modicum of prints, and uh, you know. Three, four years into it, all of a sudden, I was getting up to where I was entering 20 and 25 uh, at a time as I was really trying to find something that would resonate with the judges. And and it was just a real period of growth. Uh, Today, I would probably say I'm only going to enter six, seven. Like, I have a pretty good barometer on on how things are going to go. So I don't enter quite as many anymore. But it was a necessary process for me to go through at a particular period competition is like that, though, finding a way to marry what it is that you actually do and your style to what will work at that particular competition. And I think you have to kind of tune into that. I think you do. I think the thing that uh, WPPI really puts an emphasis on is, um, so I was talking with a a photographer who is also involved in PPA, a girl named Jen Hudson, who's now Jen Thornson. Brilliant, illustrative uh, photographer, fine art photographer. photographer. Phenomenal work. And and she basically says things like this, and uh, it's kind of that uh, the craft side of things, the technical side of things, that's essentially like your photography training pants, 
right? Like right. You've, you've got to do that. And I, and I admire everything that Bure does to help simplify that process for people and keeps advocating <laughs> to people like, here are the Aww. fundamentals, right? Here are the things that you need to yes. know. Yes, I have absolutely become an advocate for being as simple as possible and just being a barely craftsman level photographer. That's exactly That's I am not what he said at all. If you're looking for a guy who is going Why to represent the very simple beginning level of photography, I'm the guy for you. He is. <laughs> that's not what he said. That is that is unkind. No, 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 no. It's all good. I mean, uh, so so the point is, is that no, I'm serious. I embrace that. I am. That's me. I'm a I'm a road. I'm a I'm a road working photographer. Just and, lean uh, into yeah, it, buddy. Yeah. But, I'm, I don't. I'm nowhere near the level that Luke is. And I know well, that's not. I know that's not what he meant by it. But it's true. And that's and I'm I'm proud of that fact. I don't have a problem with it at all. Well, we need that. We need the fundamentals. Like it's got to be taught. Uh, at the end of the day, the way I view it is, uh, it's kind of like having really good grammar. Right, it, it, it's so important in the way that you express yourself. You've got to have the the, the technique down. But You're it's not tootin', huh? <laughs> oh. Just trying to make a joke and bombing. No big deal. Uh, it's all good. It's all good. Classic but, Gary stuff. Keep going. But it's, you were. it's not the same thing as a beautiful idea that is beautifully expressed. And I think that's what you try and marry together. Right. Uh, that's interesting. You know. So it's like. Uh, I do a lot of research into like the history of photography. Go back and read all these periodicals pre eighteen hundreds into nineteen hundreds. Camera crafts, Stieglitz, other people and authors. And at the end of the day, what they what they say is that if it's only technique alone, it's like looking at something that's a marvelous mechanism. Like it's fascinating to look at for a period of time because of technique. But if there's not a great idea behind it, that eventually, uh, or not very long afterwards, you, you continue to look at it and it no longer marvels you. Whereas other things are, you know, uh, more universal, a beautiful idea that's put together. It's done beautifully well, whatever the treatment is. And those are the kind of things that you go, I could keep coming back and looking at that over and over again. And of course, the other thing that happens is sometimes people put so much emphasis on just the ideas, but they don't have the technique to go along with it. And that falls flat too. So, right. you know, you've got to, you've got to marry those two things together to have something of, of, of more substance. I would think that in terms of all of the elements of, of, how, that they judge by, uh, and I judge in both places, is that um, they're all there, but certain ones are emphasized a little bit more. And if I had to say what the things, at least from my perspective, that seem to be have more emphasis on them at WPPI is going to be creativity and originality, really trying to push the envelope to come up with something. Because it is there's a key difference. One thing that you really are not encouraged to think about when judging for the IPC is um, you you get the thought out of your head. I've seen this before. We're almost exclusively oppositely at WPPI. They encourage you to go. Yeah, if you've if you've not seen it before, then by all means reward that. If you've seen it before, it's okay to not like it as much if it's the same thing you've seen a hundred times over and over and over again. And so I think that both of the qualities of craftsmanship, creativity, and uh, and artistic approach are there and storytelling. But I think WPPI emphasizes those certain qualities uh, a little more heavily than they do at PPA. Is almost a little more of that. Um, understanding the craft, the journeyman, creating those because it's a professional organization of working photographers, or at least that's the aim. And so it's like, these are the things that will be staples in your photography business. Yeah. So, that, does that make sense? Yeah, it totally makes sense. I think that that both the WPPI, uh, we can talk about the AIPP, NZIP, uh, which is the New Zealand group, and uh, several others, there's a real emphasis on what we call currency. And currency is not in this form a monetary thing, but it's um, kind of a contemporary evaluation of where the industry is at this time. And I think that's where the reflection of have I seen this before? And if I have seen it before in relation to kind of a broad spectrum of what we would say is is a better version of that, how is this relating to that standard? Uh, it's not to state that something uh, has to be completely original in all ways. Uh, it could be just that it was the same subject matter that was perhaps given a different post-production technique, and that's the originality. There's many different ways. It doesn't have to be just the idea itself. Uh, but uh, but that is something that is definitely uh, an emphasis at WPPI to make sure that people are continuing to uh, push themselves to grow. 
So what's uh, now? I at the, the the competition happens at the convention, or at least at the beginning of the of the convention of PPI. And one of the things that you'll notice right away is that it's all prints. You don't you know there's no digital competition at this particular one. There is in the there are online competitions throughout the year, but this particular with the exception of what. Uh, Filmmaking. In, well, in-camera artistry is is purely digital, which is where right. you're only submitting a raw file, and right. that way there's no. So we have to acknowledge the fact that post processing occurs with any digital file. We talk about this all the time. Yeah. This is one of our big our big con- yeah. uh, con- post processing and how it applies to competition. And 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 in this case, the post processing is limited to what you can do inside of the camera. There's no external right. post-processing that's allowed for in-camera Not artistry. even global adjustments or anything like that in any raw processor, just a straight raw file. Yeah, that's all you can submit is just the raw file that was captured by your camera. Now, you can get into different things like Canon cameras may have some functionality inside their cameras that Nikons don't. Uh, Fuji's may be able to do some different things. But, that's- yeah, but, even, but even then, you are adjusting the raw file in the camera, and you won't see those until you export it to JPEG, and you have to put a raw file in right yeah well so the way that i mean there's nothing really you can do after the fact to a raw file without it being obvious because you can't save a raw file in a different form right correct no any decisions you're going to make for processing have to make be made in advance of capture right okay right it's a fun category some of the entries in there are very cool it's it gets to basically be a contest of how clever can you be Almost, you know, like right. what can you think of? And uh, it's got it rem- some really, really neat entries. It reminds me of that classic photo of Salvador Dali with the, the water in the frame and the cat flying through the air that was shot sure. in like the 60s. And it was shot in one capture where they had yes. they, they threw a cat like 29 times into the frame to get it just right <laughs> because there was no Photoshop. There was no way they could stick it in later. It all had to be done in one capture. And he used the cat uh, because he really wanted to bring back his favorite Christmas ornaments. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. But there you go. I mean, do you see that sort of stuff in that category where people try to create a picture that you would swear was composited if it wasn't the raw? Do you see any stuff like that? Or is it just, here's a good portrait that's a raw? No, it's 100% people pushing themselves to say, what is, am I going to do a double exposure? Am I going to do a multiple exposure? Am I going to build a set? What What am I going to do? But keep, keep, it in, keep it in mind, you can't Photoshop out a light. Like you, you better have flagged it ahead of time. Like anything that you're going to do, there's been prisming that's been done, mirrors and different things. It's got to be all done because even you can't even crop the image afterwards, right? You're judged based off of wow. the final capture. Yeah, not even be able to crop. That's I'm screwed because I can't keep a horizon straight to save my life. I would never be able to enter anything. But I bet you get some really interesting stuff in that category. You do, you do. So, so that's digitally projected. And then the other one to to answer the question for you is just the album category is is digitally projected, uh, just because of facilitating not having to send physical albums. And then the filmmaking uh, division is also digitally projected. But but the uh, but other than that, your all your other basic categories are are print only, and it's pretty much standard. Uh, Sixteen by twenty with a white mat. Like if you go through the gallery at WP, but that seems to be not necessarily the rule, but the style that most people go in that almost that gallery sort of presentation. Yeah, and there's you know dialogue that can always occur about that, but definitely uh, you know within PPA it's more popularized to use the uh, the fake keyline border and then you know, <laughs> bring in some other different what? things to perhaps. <laughs> Pull in tones. Sorry, uh, I think Blu-ray's Blu-ray's cat. Having a moment. <laughs> wow. Okay, Blu-ray. Do you have something to say about that? No, no. I, I know. I, I do find it interesting. I didn't realize that uh, that the WPPI uh, was more commonly just used a white mat. So what you're saying is that they let the picture speak for itself more. Interesting. The, the emphasis is on the on the picture itself. Interesting. In a uh, in a photography competition. However, I will say that there is a lot of discussion about the mats at WPPI, whether it's the right uh, texture, whether it's the right color tone to support the image, because there are a thousand shades of white mat that you can possibly get. Some are a little cooler, some are a little warmer. Um, so I mean, even, you think you've made it easier, you've actually made it harder. Yeah, even even with everybody using a white mat, we still end up talking quite a lot about mats. Wow. You know? Yeah, wow. it's and presentation, medium, choice of medium, stuff like that. But I find that well, interesting. Different types as of paper. To, I mean, now you're in a whole new era that the digital people don't have to worry about. Now you got to talk about what type of paper am I printing on, and you know what kind of. Uh, how do you think it serves the competition? And and because I'm really I love seeing the prints and the print display 
in the at WPPI is it's just stunning. And one, you know, after the competition, you get to walk through those images. But what do you think is like maybe the reason th- that WPPI has kept prints for so long when every other competition is is largely digital? I think that the reason is because uh, the people that have uh, gone before me understand the value of prints. And when we really think about the creative process, uh, especially if you're going to be a photographer, you know, it begins with a concept. And there's five touch points that we're going to be able to get along that process. The second one is capture. After that, we get to do our interpretation. And really, we get to do our selection. Which frame are we going to do? And then from there, we get to do our post-production in whatever form. The darkroom, digital darkroom, etc. But the final one is, is in the printing. And that's when it no longer goes from an image to truly being a picture. And so that's why we want to maintain and encourage and keep the, the power of print, as, as is the common parlance, going because it's so vital. And we know that the, the ancillary benefits, if you know how to print well, then you're going to be able to sell things to clients. It'll help your business and so forth. But it also helps you have something tangible that you can realize at the end of it. You have something to show for it and you get to learn so much more instead of just looking at your monitor, seeing how the decisions you're making uh, on the computer affect the final output. That's valuable uh, information for a photographer to have inside their brain. Yeah, there's nothing like seeing your work well printed, to be honest. Like, I remember the first time I was at a school or a workshop, I think Can- Canon was there with their print division. And if you could bring, bring them any file, and they would print it up for you, like a 20 by 30. And just the first time I got to see my, and I was probably 20, and the first time I got to see my work roll out as a giant print, and I, I will never, ever forget what that was like. A very, very cool moment. Absolutely. Moving on to um, differences in the rules, in the scoring, stuff like that. I think that um, there's a slight difference in culture, but overall, I think that there's a lot that's the same. And I was surprised to find out how much um, care goes into it, because you were really dealing with a lot of tender folks when people are putting their, you know what I mean? There are a lot of tender feelings involved when people are putting their work into a competition like this. And the value of education is good. Every room I walked into and every the, the, the commentary was almost 100% constructive. And I was expecting it to be one of the things that WPBI does not have um, is they don't have a process to become a judge that takes like 15 years, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so you, and this is a thing that, that goes against everything that I've come to understand about standardizing things. But I was surprised that you had judges, hey, it's my first time. But because the culture is so strong, almost every new judge that comes in seems to fall right in line with it and get with the program and be part of that constructive, positive thing. And, um, how are you picking the judges? How many you're using year after year? And what's your thought press on, on training judges when you bring them in? How does WPPI train and qualify its judges? Absolutely. Uh, so we all know that our greatest strengths are also our greatest weaknesses. So one of the greatest strengths about IPC is the fact that there is a formalized judging process. Yes, the, there is. The difficulty <laughs> yeah. becomes if it starts to homogenize the thinking. Right. Which is not to state that it is. It's just that's what you have to protect against. Right. It's sort of counter. It's, it's two different sides of the same coin. It's like if you bring in a lot of new thought, you lose the benefit of that standardization. If you overstandardize, you sometimes can lose the benefit of that looseness and creativity. So at WPPI, we, we don't have that. However, most of the people that are judges, it's not exclusive, but most are either uh, they've been very active in print competition, have been sitting in that room for a decade, they've been listening to judges' feedback, they have a strong understanding of, of what we're trying to do, or they have prior judging experience somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And what we're asking them to do is to set aside, like we want them to have the experience, but set aside the criteria of the other organizations that you might judge and just judge based off the criteria that we give to you to be able to follow. And a lot of times what we try and do is we try and give indicators of things to look for without telling somebody how to score. So we would say these are the attributes of something that would fall into this particular range. Um, we build in mechanisms like uh, PPA picked up on the uh, majority rise, majority fall rule and how that process worked. Oh, and man, it's a time saver and a half. It, it really is. It's a huge time saver. And it also it mitigates the amount of influence one judge can have on their panel. 
Take a second and explain that for anybody who doesn't understand from that cryptic uh, description that you just gave what that means. Majority rise. I've never, I've never heard of it referred to as the majority rise, majority fall rule. It sounds like something from Game of Thrones. It, it, well, it's, it's almost kind of like Highlander. There can only be one, yeah. right? There can only be one. And, and to, as it, at, it, I, at IPC, it's called something different. We have a s- automatic challenge scenarios, and so it's called a majority challenge at IPC, and it's and it's just the same thing. It's just called something slightly different. So the way that it works is, let's say that um, uh, at WPPI, you could have three judges scoring in the 80 to 84 range, which we would call the silver range. And that would be, in essence, kind of equivalent to a merit, uh, deserving of a merit inside of PPA. And then you have two judges who are down in the 70s or whatever score they're at, but they're below that four-point category range. Well, at that point, the even though the average may be 78, the lowest that the print can score is an 80 by majority because three of the five judges saw it in this particular range. So you have three judges at 81 and two judges at 75. That drags it below 80. But Correct. because of this rule, it doesn't go below 80 because three out of five say it's above 80, so it can't go below 80. Correct. And right. conversely, you know, on the opposite end, if you ended up having somebody score 95 and everybody else was at 78, it can't move up into the, the 80s because the majority of the judges, at least three judges, saw it all in the same particular range, which was below uh, something else. Now, that would also result in an automatic challenge and we'd have all sorts of conversations, but that's how the end result would play out. Well, it it, it not only does it can uh, stop one judge from controlling a panel, like say, well, screw it, I like this image and they don't. Uh, it reigns in a rogue judge or even somebody who is just way off, they miss something. You don't even have to be a rogue. You could just be a judge that's like, you saw it, it resonated with you because you just love dogs being reunited with their owners when they come back from the war and that just makes you score everything in 95 even though it's out of focus or whatever. You know, But it also, it really does solve a lot of things that would be challenged later. You know what I mean? It, it mm-hmm. basically forces a challenge on something that's going to make sure that it gets talked about if it has to. And I think it's, it's, it's been a pretty positive change for, for both organizations, I think. And then the other thing that I think is unique to WPPI is there's a real emphasis that the panel chair is a sick source of knowledge. And so they are uh, not just permitted, but they are encouraged. Their job is to advocate on behalf of the print. If they see something that they go, this panel has missed, then they have the ability to come back and bring it to the attention of the panel. Now, what they cannot do is say, I believe that this should be scored a gold, right? Or in the 90s. right? Right. But they can say, I've heard your comments. Here's one more context for you to consider this in that maybe you uh, you weren't uh, aware of. Perhaps it's an homage to some painting and it's been done particularly well. And so here's some historical background or, or relevance. It may be uh, something else, like uh, they picked up on some detail in there that hasn't been discussed by the judges yet. Uh, you know, Perhaps it was the fact that there was a use of complementary colors here in a, in a particularly effective way and everybody was hung up on just one lighting aspect or whatever and, and trying to understand that perhaps this lighting's only being done to give mood. It's not actually being done to flatter the subject and so forth. And and so they're advocating on behalf of the print. And I think that really helps um, kind of uh, give a check and balance to what the judges do. At the end of the day, though, the final score is determined by the judging panel. Right. The Also, one of the big differences is how you guys uh, do a challenge um, as far as scoring up. Like if something's going to be, uh, if you challenge the image, you can't change your score. And that's an interesting rule that I think that was one of the biggest because when I, I've judged images before, I give it like an eighty-three, and then it scores an eighty-four, and then I just it goes and I go, you know what? I want to bring that back and challenge it because I think that I underscored it, and so yeah, and that has has happened to me many times. And one of the things I had to get used to at WPPI was. You can't challenge it. Uh, you can't change your score. I could challenge it, but I can't change my score if I do. And we were in a situation where there was a, uh, it was close to a 100, and I had like a 96. And I, ch- I was going to challenge it to raise it up to 100, and uh, Jerry, who was in the room, took over his chair, and he goes, if you challenge it, you can't change your score, and this image cannot get a 100. And that was a, that was a really interesting collision with that moment. Yeah, so there, there is built-in checks and balances. You, you know, a judge cannot just challenge because they 
they want to. They have to be five points off the announced score to even have the opportunity for an elective challenge. So if in your case, if it scored an 84 and you were at 83, you wouldn't even be able to challenge. Right. right. The, the, the little device you're using to score, it doesn't even give you the option to push the challenge button unless you qualify with the points. Correct. So, so, so you have elective challenges, which the judges can do whenever they're five or more points off of the announced score. And they can challenge up. They can challenge down. In that case, you cannot change your score. However, you do get a right of reply. So everybody can go around and discuss, and you can then answer any questions that are that are brought up. There's an automatic challenge, which happens whenever the scores are off by 10 points or more, at which point we have an automatic challenge. We've got one person up in the 90s, and we've got one person down in the 70s. Like, we've got to have a discussion. And then the final challenge is a chair can challenge, in which case the judges are allowed to all change their scores. And, uh, and so that way, again, the sole purpose is... You know, people have spent hundreds of dollars to enter this print to get their two minutes of time in front of the judges. Correct. Yeah. And we want to do everything we can to advocate on behalf of that person, uh, regardless of uh, how much experience they brought into the competition. And uh, and we want to give them at least two points of information, something that we enjoyed that they did uh, perhaps well. And even in the case of something that's really not a, a deserving print, we can at least say we enjoyed the subject matter or we we enjoyed the idea that you were going with, but you've still got to improve X, Y, and Z. And, and then we want to also give them the areas that they can improve. So they, they walk away with something of value because print competition to me is really print education. Right. That's what you're going through. I think if you're in the upper levels of it, like you're really good at it, then it becomes a competition, you know, because like you really want those awards. You want to walk on that stage. You want to come home with those trophies. But I think when you're starting out, for the most part, I think you're you're looking to get more educated. Like it's still always education. But once you it's not really competition unless you get to a certain level to me. So to me, that the, the distinction between a photo contest and a photo competition is uh, are you emotionally invested? When, when I enter a photo contest, I, if I was to do it, I would grab a picture off my desktop, upload it, pay my 25 bucks, and then not think about it again. I certainly wouldn't show up for the judging and like no. spend that time and, and resources to sit there in, right. in a dark room all day. And uh, at the end of the day, if I win or I lose, great. You know, it, it's not going to have that big impact on me. With a competition, you're much more emotionally invested into the process. Uh, you're going there, hopefully, or you're watching online. You're doing those kinds of different things. You're, you're taking on board the comments. You're, you're learning to improve. The unique thing about WPPI is unlike PPA, which announces like these are the Diamond Award winners, the Platinums, and so forth. Um, once you earn your Masters, you keep going all the way up to Grandmaster. And that could take a decade or longer to be able to get to that point. We have double masters, triple masters, so forth. So there's a leaderboard. There's a ranking system. And so you're certainly always competing with yourself. You're also watching how your your colleagues are doing. How are they moving up? Uh, and it just pushes you and it gives you motivation. It also gives you accountability. And I, and I love that aspect behind it. What does it right. take to reach the first one? What does it take to get a master at WPPI? Sure. So to get a master at WPPI, the, the first one is the associate, and that's when you've earned five points uh, within the within the system. To get a uh, a master, you have to earn twenty points. And if you were to loosely say that if people and you earned one point for a silver, uh, and and correspondingly, you could go all the way up to a, um, a gold distinction where you're getting two and a half points and so forth. Uh, I would say on average, people earn on a good year four to five points. So to get to the master's level, you're probably looking at about five years. But and theoretically, uh-huh. you could enter a hundred super strong prints and you could actually do it in one year if you had that sort of a case. Theor- theoretically, you could. Theoretically. Ex- except for we have built-in checks and balances, which are that uh, a maximum of four uh, entries for each calendar year can count towards your Honors of Excellence designation. Ah, okay. Well, there you go. Yeah, yep. that's your, there's your check. Sure. There's your check. Yep. So that's that's kind of how we, we, we watch over that. And you can enter the online competitions and get a maximum of two points each year from that. Uh, if you enter that same picture as a print and it gets a higher score, whichever is the higher score is the one that, that prevails. Uh, and then, you know, as you're trying to approach the level of Grandmaster, um, there's certainly there's three paths you can go down. But uh, it, it becomes a bit challenging because if you're going to earn a Grandmaster without ever earning a Grand Award, which is a bit out of your control, uh, 
you've got to get all the way up to 80 points. And that's a lot of points to accumulate. That's 20 wow. years worth of work. <laughs> wow. You know, so there's a lot of dedication. But, but at the same time, it gives you a lot of reason to, uh, to keep your, your hand in the game. Yeah, and, and I think that over time, you sort of grow, become a different artist. There aren't that many people that come into a competition like this as a fully formed artist. Most people are getting involved and learning and then fi- really figuring out who they are as an image maker, which sort of brings me to my next question is, um, so w- people are scared to do this. And there's a lot of barrier for entry. If the number one barrier for entry of people entering a print competition like this, an education-based print competition, is they just don't know about it. They don't know that it exists. So take that one off the table. Once people know about it, why do you think people don't? And what would you say to somebody if they told you that? I would say to this, when does uh, fear go from something that stops you from doing something to becoming fear of missing out? And I'd say it's kind of like when you, uh, if you were at a cliff and you were with friends at the lake, and there's always that one guy that's just crazy that goes and runs and jumps off the cliff and jumps into the water. And of course, they always come up with their arms screaming, go, oh my gosh, that was wonderful. And you think to yourself, yeah, I'm still not doing it yet. And then the next person goes, <laughs> and, and maybe they weren't quite as crazy about doing it, but they jump off that cliff and they land and they come up and they go, man, that was amazing. And next thing you know, you're thinking to yourself, well, I don't want to be left here standing on top of the cliff by myself. Like, I want experience the joy that they're having like and riding so, a roller coaster yeah it's like, like when you go to a park when you're a kid and you don't want to ride the roller coaster and you reach a point where all your friends are riding the roller coaster and you realize that you might be missing out on something pretty super yeah yeah the point the yeah. point is it's not nearly as awful as i i think never no it's never as awful as you think it's going to be right like yeah. I, I think i call it like insecure narcissism is that we're basically our images are like our babies for us especially the ones that we think are our best stuff and to have any criticism on them at all is hard, let alone putting them up against something like WPPI, where you're going to see some of the most talented image makers from all over the world entering their best stuff. And so I think that there's an approach to the scoring that I really, really appreciate is that there's a phrase that goes around a lot in, in the judging of WPPI, which is called standard practice. And I really like that. So even if you score in that 75 to 79 range, which is basically it says standard professional practice, it's not above average. This is like, to me, that's like if scoring into there, the way that the judges and chairs speak about that scoring range, there's actually no even, no no shame in scoring a 78 because you've had a panel of pros, strong competitors go, your work is, is of professional quality. And they make sure that you know that in the judging. And I love that feeling that if I went in and, and competed for the first time and I got a 78 and the way that they talk about it when they score it for you, um, I would think... Well, okay, I didn't, you know, at least I didn't blow it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, standard practice is the kind of work that we should, as professional photographers, be creating every single day. Like, that's mm-hmm. the kind of work we should be creating. And it tells you that you are on the right track. Now we're asking you, we're asking typically, is not for more complexity, although oftentimes people think, oh, it, it, I need to have some piece of equipment that's going to solve my problem or, or things like that. It, it usually is. It just needs more of you. It needs more. You need to bring more to it than just the the lighting patterns and the styles and the things that you've learned from some somebody who's been kind enough to mentor you or teach you or you've you've learned on your own by studying YouTube videos and stuff like that and you've put into place. Now we need your voice coming into this. At at this stage, you're either doing a lot of stuff that imitates or emulates, and we're ready for you to start to create. And that's what we want to champion and encourage. I sometimes tell people who ask me about it, I say, when you're a professional photographer, you spend all of your time trying to figure out how to please your clients. And now, if you want to go into competition, you need to figure out how to please the most discerning, hard clients in the world, a room full of professional photographers with some of the highest levels of expectations of any person you've ever met. That's your new client that you have to please. So just putting work in that would please your clients is not going to fly with that room. You've got to take it to the next step. The one thing I would state to that is at WPPI, we do try and create a standard for the context that that work is created. So what I'm saying by that is if you enter the wedding division, it's only pictures of real brides and grooms captured in the context of a real wedding day. 
where you may not have had the luxury of time, the, the choice of locations, the, the coordinator's telling you that you only have uh, two seconds to be able to do something. Uh, these are people that are non-professional models. Well, that and speaks to degree of difficulty. It, it, do, it does. It does. And, it, and it's only appropriate that those are judged differently from people who either use models or are doing a shoot with people in bridal attire. Amen. Amen, That's brother. not taken <laughs> in the context of a real wedding day, right? Like if yeah. I go and do a, a portrait session with somebody, a bridal portrait, I, I just, it's, it's a different uh, degree of difficulty, a different That's not a wedding. That's a portrait. Exactly. Yeah, a wedding, a wedding just dress to be is wearing, not a wedding yeah, image what, make, what, The sure. clothes you're wearing does not make any difference. It's still a portrait. Yep, exactly. And in the same way, anything that's in the portrait division has to be an actual portrait. It would have to be created in the context of an actual portrait. Uh, and so for that, we have kind of a, a nuanced thing. Like you're allowed to do retouching in terms of uh, beauty. Like that's standard industry practice. You could remove uh, uh, some sort of a, of a pimple or a stray hair and things like that. What you can't do is add anything new to the photo. Everything that you have inside of there, inside the frame, must in integrity and intent be part of the original capture. You do have the luxury of using what we call duplicate captures. Like you could shoot a second frame and then be able to mask out, like I want to hide my light stand. Or like face swap or something like you, that. You can if do you a, a better expression. You can do a face swap or a body swap so long as it's for the purpose of better expression, but you are not allowed to do it for the purposes of of something that changes gesture because gesture, if it's a picture with their arms down and suddenly they're pointing, that could be a, an entirely different reading of that image. Wow. And, and so, you know, but you could open eyes. That's you huge because I've been in seminars where they spend a great deal of time showing you how to break somebody's arms and position them and change them for competition. Sure. And, and, yeah. and there's puppeteering effects and stuff. Puppeteering's exactly. not allowed inside the portrait. Like, we want to celebrate the, the, the portrait photographers that are out there that are working maternity photographers and individuals and babies and newborns and, and teenagers, you know, because we don't have a senior category. We, we have a teenager category uh, type thing because, you know, they're, they're, everybody should be represented from 19 down to 13, right? <laughs> but, but by the way, which category, uh, if you're going to enter for the first time and you You've got some strong work in that arena. That that category, in my experience at PPI, is wide open. It's one of the less used categories, sure. I think. And so, I, if you're going to play the game and want to win some awards, I, I, <laughs> I like enter stuff into the categories that has the least stuff in it. You know. Sure, and so so you have that, and then on the on the opposite. Luke's not end, a fan of that idea. No, no, no. I think that there is a lot of strategy to going back and looking at the different categories that are available to you and saying how was the participation last year. Maybe there's an opportunity here. The trick becomes from year to year, everybody's doing that. So it right. changes and you go into it thinking, well, nobody's any inner teenager. And suddenly you find out it was newborn that had all the openings. Or like everybody boudoir. runs to one side of the boat yeah. and then everybody runs to the other side of the boat. Yeah, yeah that it, makes sense. It's a reactive type thing, but, but it's worth considering for sure. Uh, in our creative division, though, there's, there's no holds barred. Any sort of post-production and or post-processing techniques are allowed. And what we're saying there is you can introduce elements. And what we're going to simply judge is not the context it was created in, but what is the content that you're presenting us. And that's it. It doesn't matter how you went about doing it. And so that's the place that we get to see a lot of innovation and, and creativity for people really pushing the boundaries. Yeah, it's 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 pretty neat to see the difference. One of the things that I really love is that when you go into those those port, those uh, portrait categories where it's basically a single image capture for the most part, the, the, there is a certain type of competitor that likes to create images that you're if you were anywhere else you'd look at it and you'd assume that it was a composite, but they've created an image in a single capture that just goes. And as a judge, you know. That every image is vetted by raw file, right? Yep. And so you know that that was done by the maker in that shot. And so you're thinking, wow. And that to me, that adds a lot to the scoring right away. I'm like, oh, wow, how did they do that? Mm -hmm. It's just a kind of a cool element. And as a judge, you're just so much more relaxed because you don't – the thought's not in your head. You know somebody's already checked it. It's already been dealt with. All you got to do is judge the image in front of you. And I really enjoyed that part of it as well. Yeah, so the vetting process is certainly worth talking about because it is so uh, strict. But at the same time, it's reciprocal. So I – as the director, it's my job to look at every single entry, the physical entry that they sent in, and also the corresponding raw file. And if I have any questions, which 
you know, typically it's about 95% of all entries have a question asked. It's not anything that's uh, negative towards a person. It's just we've got to make sure so the judges have security when they're when they're doing their judging that it followed the rules. And at that particular point, you're going through and looking at it and saying, okay, have they done anything here that would not allow it to be here? If so, I've got to recategorize it. I've got to move it to a different category. It can't, it's not qualified to be judged in, in this particular division. So you would, you would move it. You wouldn't just disqualify it and have them resubmit. You would actually move it on your end. So we, I have the right to move anything that I want because of the fact that somebody's non-responsive. Right. I see. At the same, or I see something, and, and so forth. At the same time, so I believe that the vetting process is fifty-fifty partnership. Like I can't just be standing there like a soccer goalie while three thousand people kick soccer balls at me, and I put my hands up and try and stop them all. Right. And that's not even a very member-friendly policy either. Uh, yeah. So, so you know, it's okay for you to have somebody else do your post-production. There's nothing wrong with that. There are some people that would prefer not to do that. But you know, to me, I go, I just want you to learn how to solve the problem, right? And if you want to learn how to solve it yourself, great. There's value to that. If you learn that you can hire a third party to do it, great. The, the, the thing is, is, it has to be done under your direction. Every, every single step, you have to be saying to them, here's what I want you to do. You are just my hands. You are not the ideas. And so you're not going to interpret something for me and then I pick it. You know, you're going to say to them, I want you to convert to black and white, tone this part down, do this, make these changes, etc. So I require the entrance to maintain documentation for everything that they've given instructions for so that I have it to be able to reference. And there's many ways you could do that. I mean, if you were doing it on your own, you could just, you know, have your history of, of all the steps you took inside of there. Like the thing that gets into to trickiness is, you know, if we say when we talk about compositing, right? Well, there are so many ways people can slice it. Technically, I can take a raw file and bring it into Photoshop as a smart object. And technically, it hasn't been processed out yet as a JPEG. I can then create a new smart object on top of that. So I've now layered it. But at the same time, it's still not like it's really a layer because it's still a smart object and keep going and keep going and keep going. And eventually, I flatten that all down to one thing. Um, my question is about the content that's in there. I don't care if you decided to to tone down some columns on the side and brighten up the person in the front to be able to create some layering in depth. If everything that's inside the frame is the same, it's just a matter of whether you're introducing new visual elements to it, in which case I'd go, yep, that's got to move over here to the creative division where it's allowed. But here inside these others, it's not allowed. Like dropping in a sky or something like that, would that be outside of... That would, that would go in creative. Absolutely. If you drop in a sky, and, and of course, you have to shoot everything that you include. You're not allowed to use any third-party um, uh, th- elements to be able to introduce. You can use third-party textures, and you can use third-party filters, but you, you can't just say, well, this person took a beautiful sunset, and now I'm going to make it my own. So you- let's say that you've got um, all of this lined up. Uh, you, you've convinced me. It's my first time. I'm a new photographer, never competed anywhere before. And listening to you, I'm just overwhelmed with your care and your love for the process. And, it re- and I'm ready to improve. Tell me, wh- tell me what my steps are, what I should do. Should I enter digitally first? Where should I get my prints made? Like, how would you give somebody resources to say this is where you go to find out what to do next? Sure. Uh, so I'll just I'll kind of start with where we were when we first started, and that was we didn't know what to do. So we went to Costco our first year and had our prints made there. Surprisingly, not bad printing at Costco. <laughs> S- surprisingly, my dad won a grand award on a print from Costco. Yeah, I just won a Fuji masterpiece on a Costco print like two weeks ago. <laughs> okay. So you know you just got to make sure that you uncheck them uh, doing the automatic uh, uh, changes to your print on the machine. <laughs> yeah, you know that kind of stuff. But that's not the way I'd recommend to do it. There's so many professional labs out there that if you contact them, uh, the one that we happen to use here in Dallas because they're local is BWC. Other labs in Dallas are full color and there's pounds. You can go to White House. You can go to Miller's. Uh, you can go to a thousand different. Richmond labs. I mean, you can go to so many different labs and be able to say to them, like, I'm doing a competition print. And on average, I would say that they probably run 35 to 50 bucks, something like that, because usually they're going to print one for you, give you something to look at, make some changes or do it on different paper types. And then from there, be able to 
to go forward. Uh, you can also print on your own. You can do an inkjet printing if you want, and those are very popular. Uh, there's third-party uh, people who make prints for people. Jonathan Penny comes to mind. Rocco Ancora comes to mind as somebody who does capture to print. Um, there's even uh, Yannick Wazio is a new uh, guy out of San Diego that's kind of starting up this process. So you could use a third-party printer to be able to, to, to do these things. Those will typically cost a bit more, and it depends on if they're doing some post-production as well. At the end of the day, you get your prints made, and you'll want to go to the WPPI Awards website, WPPIAwards.com. And uh, at that particular point, you uh, choose which of the categories you're going to enter, uh, create a profile on there, and then upload your submissions. Make sure, though, that you have your raw file to submit along with the JPEG of what your printed image is, because those are all the things that we're going to require in, in order to do the vetting process. Do you right find on. do you find that um, with the rise of the competitions and more people competing every year and uh, the more strict vetting process that you have for the images, are you close to being overwhelmed yet? I mean, is there is there going to be a point where there has to be two directors because you simply cannot look at that many pictures in that in the amount of time that you're given because you have to look at the physical stuff too, which that what a day a whole at least a day you must spend in Las Vegas. Uh, going through all the the physical prints or longer. I mean, what's that process like? Not not to mention just the back and forth emailing somebody for additional information, verification. You know, can you show me you know a screenshot of you know this raw file in the context of the wedding day so that I know that it was created in that particular thing. You know that wow. particular environment. You know, there's a lot of back and forth type stuff. So I'm very fortunate to have a team. Jerry and Melissa are still assisting with that uh, backside of things with me. Jerry and Melissa Jonas. Jerry and G- Melissa Gionis, yep. Bo- and, both uh, of them, we, we do throw out the first names like everybody knows who we're talking about. I totally get it, and, and that was a, a mistake of mine. But they're the former competition directors. So you have a team that, help, that, goes, that helps you vet all these images. That is correct. That is correct, and, and goes back and forth with, with the entire process. I would say that there's about eight of us on that team, and it takes us about two weeks of time. Okay, wow. Yeah, that's, that's what I was thinking, because when you talk about the numbers, I'm like, there's no way you could be doing it all year. There's just so much. Yeah. And it only gets worse every year because there's more technology there's more stuff that you can do to your images after the fact and oh and and, you know do you ever worry about because this is a discussion i have with a lot of people that that we may eventually get to the point with our competitions where we are we are just putting too many rules and regulations in and it becomes so hard to police yeah so i think that it, it it uh i think that's always a concern so i want to be i want to be strict in areas that are that are black and white I want to be absolutely strict. I want to be absolutely clear. So there's no like, well, I didn't know or I was confused type thing. But in areas that are gray, I want us to be as flexible as possible, right? Let's not legislate things that are maybe just an opinion or a preference, right? Uh, But at the same time, let's be strict about things that are core values and principles. And so Mm. if a core value and a principle is like-minded images that were created in similar circumstances deserve to be judged against each other, We've got to maintain that that firewall. Um, if it's something like, um, you know, I'll use the in-camera artistry. Like, there's just no other way for us to ensure that no post-production has happened unless we say the the only post-processing can be in-camera and you've got to submit us a raw file. You can't even do the limited post-production type thing because people take allowances. Um, that's why I go, I may need to see your history or the steps that you took in your post-production because some things might not allow, like, let's say, the use of the content-aware tool. Useful tool, but at that point, it's an... AI that's in charge of figuring out what information to put in there. And while the photographer is making the ultimate decision whether to keep it or not, they haven't, it's not all been directly done under their hands. So there's lots of content aware. Wow. Yeah. I don't, you know, as much as I love to talk about competition, as much as I love to debate competition, and, and I do it with everybody, every chance I get, the amount of respect and admiration that I have for people who actually have to get into the trenches and do the stuff that you do and the people at IPC do is overwhelming because it's such a daunting task. Yeah. And there's a lot of dealing with people's emotions. Yeah. Hey, I mean, know. it's, oh my gosh. You talk about having to have a nice, soft touch because everybody's got an opinion. And you probably answer the same questions a lot. <laughs> yes, and you know, anytime that you're running to that, you try and make sure that you have a useful FAQ or resource that you've put out there that kind of can can get things you know uh, easily distributed and, and and people can access. There will still always be people who um, won't use those. 
and they want to pop up. And, and they just want you to hold read, their hand. Didn't yeah. you read the information I sent you yeah. before you called me? No, I didn't read it. I just called you. Yep. Yeah. It's just it was just faster to call you. Like yeah. didn't all those words. I didn't really like the words. So that's hey, um, we've been we've actually gone long, which is great, which I love um, because we had such great information. I love having stuff about what WPPI is doing with the competition. And so, um, any big changes this year with you as the new director that people should look out for? So, to the best extent possible, I believe that when you come into a new position, the first thing that you should do is go on a listening tour. I want to spend the first year just listening to people. I serve the members, right? I may be a face for some aspects of it. I may be in charge of organizing it, but without the community, I don't exist. And I don't want to go about making a bunch of changes just because of the fact that there are things that Luke Edmondson has determined uh, need to happen. Uh, there will be some subtle tweaks. I've tried to just simplify and uh, find ways to, uh, you know, maybe grammar, uh, how things are written, make sure it's very clear in terms of the rules that have been in, in existence for the past six years that people are used to. Uh, I think it would be a disservice to the community to suddenly change those rules uh, substantially as they've been spending all year getting their prints ready for the competition and then find out a few weeks before that suddenly there's there's these things that are um, that are happening to them so my plan is to keep it as consistent as possible from the uh, the public facing side of things the biggest areas that I'm looking to be able to make some uh, some twists and tweaks has to do more on the judging side of things uh, what we're looking for the judges to do uh, I want to really impress upon them that um, if you're a judge the idea is that at this point you're joining me in terms of being a host of this event. And as a host, we have different responsibilities than you do as a guest. And everybody that's an entrant and everybody that's in the audience, they are our guests. And we've really got to go out of our way uh, so that people don't feel like, oh, there's a cool kid's faction over here that's passing mm-hmm. down evaluations on us but somehow like you know you have to be friends with Luke to be able to be part of that I'm trying to be as clear and transparent as possible created a, a new judges training group so that that's on Facebook people can join if they just want to learn about the process and for the first time we have a, an application that everybody's being asked to fill out uh, and we've we've had an incredible response we have 64 slots for judges we're about uh, at 100 people that have applied and I want not just the most qualified Qualified people's in terms of criteria, uh, credentials really is what I should say. But I want people to also share a similar vision and heart for for caring for the people that are part of the community. And that's what no I'm pushback. For. No pushback yet from the old timers. What you want me to fill out an application? Do you know who I am? How many times I've you haven't gotten any of that? Come on. Um, I'm sure that I'm sure that will happen. Uh, I don't know. With the people I know from WPPI, I, I I can't say I've ever I've run into anybody who would with an attitude like that. The culture has been created so well to wow. make it ab- about the entrance. I would be I would be shocked if anybody I'd met there as a judge would push back like that. I think oh, everybody's great. so in it for the member. At least that's my interpretation of it. Yeah. So I, I think that the short of it is there will obviously be somebody always who has pushback or thinks that they're uh, above the system. And to me, that reflects the heart core value, which is then you're not ready to serve our community. And mm. and so I've I've already got more people than I need that are willing to serve this community. And that's that's what's going to help us keep this thing alive for the next 20 years. It can't be just about somebody's individual uh, ego. So yeah, I think attendees have uh, of photography events, I think, have less and less tolerance for photographers with rock star attitudes. Like not one of us has cured cancer or walked on the moon like we just we all take pictures. It's not that big a deal. I mean, it's a big deal, I guess, but not, you know, not not where you should be a jerk to anyone because of it. I'm, I'm a big believer that respect is both given and earned. And when we really look at the the word respect, you know, the definition of it is a deep admiration. And I think sometimes we forget that that's what the word really means. And I want us to start, uh, instead of us uh, asking people to give us respect, let's start as the judges by by giving it to our membership. And and in that way, we will earn theirs. And and that's the approach that I'm going to try and lead from the top down. Because I think my job is just to set strategy. And my job is just to say, let's, let's run in this direction. And anybody I can get that will follow me on that, those are the people I want running alongside of me. 
Right on. That's All awesome. Right. Okay. Anything else you want to talk about? Dates, deadlines, websites, anything like that, Luke, coming up for the competitions in February. And WPI, the, is the same hotel as last year? It'll be the same hotel as last year. Um, the judging will happen at the Excalibur and uh, in Las Vegas, and that'll be the live judging. It's on Monday and Tuesday. I want to say, and I, I should know this, I think it's the 24th and the 25th of February. And the actual WPI convention will happen um, Gosh, what is the name of that hotel? It's not the MGM Grand anymore. It's the <laughs> Mandalay uh, Bay. Mandalay Bay, thank you, and because uh, it just moved there last year, so that's where the uh, the event will be. Uh, and if you're a member of SWPP, uh, you can get a reciprocal relationship as part of your your membership uh, with WPPI. So there's no cost to you for that. That's just part of your 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 perks. And so that's kind of a backdoor route to know about. And uh, yeah, join the uh, the Facebook group. It's called WPPI the Annual, and uh, I'm going to be hopping on there to be giving people more insight and guidance on and how they can do things. Really. What I'd want to know, if, if you'll indulge me, is, Bure, what are your thoughts as you're walking more deep into this? Into my thoughts about what? Just WPPI in general. I mean, I know that you, you have a great perspective on it, but perhaps this may be more of an in-depth perspective than, than you've had a, an opportunity to... To experience. Oh well, I've always I've always enjoyed the differences between the two competitions. They're more alike than they are different. Yep. Um, you know, and um, and I'm one of those people who probably if you if you did your competition if you did a competition exactly the way I think it should be done, a week later I would be the biggest person complaining about how the competition was being done. <laughs> <laughs> so, so true. Yeah. So, so yeah. True. So so you know, and I'm very much aware of that because I don't think that there's any way that you can run a competition and have it be perfect. It just can't be done. It's got to be a changing and growing organism. So to me, especially in a subjective art form. Yeah. And so to me, I just to me, all I want to see is the encouragement that 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 there is always an effort to try and be better. And, sure. And and I see that from IPC and uh, from WPPI. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated. I, I love the I love the the raw stuff. I love I love all the stuff you guys do behind the scenes. I love that you're going to have to work your butt off and have to do all the, check all these friends. And, I hope you take the week after off too. Oh just my gosh. Sleep. Yeah, I can't imagine taking that job on. And kudos to you for doing it because that's a, that's a heavy load to have. To yeah, carry. you got to have a mighty pair on you to step into that yeah, role. In my you opinion. really do. You really do. You yeah. really do. I'm safe from ever having to be. I'm safe from never. I'll never be asked to do anything like that. Thank God, because I just can't imagine. You know, that's the uh, with great uh, power comes great responsibility role you've got right there. Yeah, man, and I'm looking forward to I'm looking forward to uh, seeing what you do with it. I think that it's uh, it, it's really is the heart's so in the right place. And if you're scared of it, I would just tell you you should it just if you're too scared to compete right now, just go a couple of days early and sit in there and listen to how those judges, even the images that are less than what we call standard practice. Just the way that they talk about stuff, you'll be so encouraged uh, by the, by the way that the judging is done. I think, and even when something doesn't score super high, there is something positive said, and there is good information given. And just go, man, because it's just cool to watch. I think it's tough for everybody who competes because even with the, with standard practices and in um, and in IPC, it's called above average when you're in the seventy five to eighty range, I believe. Um, uh, but everyone wants to believe that they're a little bit better than that. Yeah. And so it can be very disappointing when they put you in that category uh, because you want to believe – that's why I entered this because I want to prove that I am, in fact, better than the average. I'm better than the average bear. And when they go, no, no, you're the average bear. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you, you know. could be an above-average yeah. bear if – and we're going to not just tell you you're an average bear. We're going to tell you how you can be an above-average yeah, bear. that's right? right. That's right. We're going to tell you how you – next year you'll come back and you'll be an above-average bear. That's the hope. Yeah, the above that's average the bear. Or, or maybe next year you'll come back and do worse, uh, you know, as some of us have been known to do. We just titled the episode. <laughs> better, the better than average bear? The above average bear. <laughs> All right. We do have to wrap this thing up. Uh, that date, by the way, is Monday the 25th. I believe. Uh, Monday the 25th and Tuesday the 26th is when the judging is taking place at uh, Excalibur in Las Vegas. And the convention is at Mandalay Bay immediately following. Is that correct, Luke? That is correct. Okay, immediately following that. So that's the week that you want to map out and head to uh, Las Vegas if you're planning on getting involved with image competition for WPPI or going to the convention at WPPI. Both a great deal of fun. Uh, I will actually be in Las Vegas uh, until the 26th, so I might swing by and see you during the judging, Luke. Oh, please do. I'll actually be there this year, so I might try and uh, sneak in and uh, watch you do what you do. It would be fascinating to watch. Don't forget, you can find us online, facebook.com slash photobombpodcast. You can find our website at photobombpodcast.com. Gary's at hughesfioretti.com. 
com. Yep. I'm at BooRayPerry.com, and you can email us questions at photobombpodcast.com. Thank you so much for joining us this week, Luke, and uh, we'll see you all next week. See you later.